McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to Period Forecast episode 212. Well, there's a couple of games being played, but today we focus on the January transfer window roundup. During the podcast today is Andy Mitchell. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunch. Yeah, good, thank you. It's been a it's been a bit of a week, hasn't it? All things considered. There's been a lot going on. Uh, I don't know how we're gonna get through it all in one sort of editable episode. Yeah, we went to Port Vale, where there was one basin for the entire away end, and went to Oxford United, where there was three stands and one burger van for the entire away end. It's felt like a very League One week. Uh, yeah, tick Port Vale off for the first time. That'll do me. And uh, yeah, Oxford, lovely. We should play every game at the Kassam, honestly. I was home half an hour after the final whistle. It was, it was great. We should just play here every week. It was wonderful. How was the bowling alley? I heard that went down well. A few, a few pints were spilled, but apart from that, generally, did you get any bowling in? But yeah, bowling alley was great, uh, obviously. Queued for about 25 minutes to get an orange juice. And uh, then, yeah, stood in the cold in the queue for the burger van Then got into the ground. It was, it was just nothing there, really. Yeah. just It's just very League One week. It's very, very League One glamour. I was more concerned by the fact that the Port Vale away and only had one sink for the entire away following. Did they just not wash their hands? Like, I don't I don't know. It's not a legal requirement, so they don't do it. But talk about <laughs> something more glamorous. They oh, called him strike. Segue. Strong they, segue again. They called him strike when he was 12 years old because his bowling ability. Freddie Webb, how are you? So one of my mates said I looked like a bowler at one point, but that was a long while, a while since because I'm bowled in ages. But yeah, I thought I'm you were going to say that you're. Uh, I thought you were going to say your friend told you you look like a bowling ball. <laughs> For fucking hell, <laughs> that's, a, that's not an insult at all. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely could be. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've been doing all right. Yeah, Port Vale was fun. Enjoyed that eventually after the tension and everything else. I can tick off a game where a fan invaded the pitch and I tried to set the referee. So that's always a memorable moment. And yeah, Pompey seems to be doing a lot of stuff in January and it follows on from last year. It's very strange. Richard Hughes doing bits. Freddie had his own Maidstone United Ipswich moment where we, we were watching the game in the pub before, uh, before Port Vale. It was that game, wasn't it, where a fan sort of fell down five rows of seats or something and landed on whoever. And now obviously some woman is making a big deal out of it and trying to sue or something stupid. Anyway, Freddie had his Maidstone experience at Port Vale as someone landed on him when we scored. Uh, seems to take a l- jumping, sort of a running leap from about three, o- 
three rows behind us. And uh, yeah, landed literally on the floor next to Freddie after taking out one of his knees. So yeah, yeah my knee still hurts, it, 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 but it doesn't hurt near it nearly as much. So it'll probably heal within a week. But I, I don't get it. Unless it's unless it's a playoff final, unless it's trophy winning, unless it's promotion securing game, why are you leaping down five flights of stairs for uh, for a fucking a wonder win against Paul? Language, Frederick. Hugh, he's been angry this week. I told you, he's been angry this week. He's been raging this week. I've heard literally. Oh, he hasn't started any more fights. Slander. My favorite part, <laughs> by the way, before we do the Vale review, my favorite part of the Port Vale game was when we hit a long diagonal and Freddie was quite angry at this point and yelled, that's a effing nobody! And I don't know why, but he hadn't seen Colby Bishop, who the ball just flew straight at, who took one touch and put it into the box. <laughs> I was proved wrong, as usual. I took a lot of enjoyment out of that. I like to be proved wrong by, the, by Pompey players. It's brilliant, because usually it's me being stupid and then actually doing bits so it was the least justified play. anger i've ever seen <laughs> it was such a good ball <laughs> and you were furious it, it looked as if it was going to cut for a goal kick yeah if colby bishop hadn't been stood where the ball was flying it would have done yeah anyway as entertaining as it is hearing about freddie's injuries and i do appreciate the fact he said it's fine i can walk so that's it so i do appreciate that the warrior which is strike over here let's let's get into the podcast and let you guys know what's going on so We've got a big episode lined up today. It's involved a lot of podcasting, a lot of people over different times in the last couple of days to bring this to you guys right now. Andy is now sipping on a, a Bovril, which is his version of me drinking hard espresso out of a mug to try and power him through the rest of it. All right, let's move on and get into this. And if you're listening to this podcast, I am rubbish at remembering everyone's names and podcast titles. So this isn't even the first take. So everyone's work sitting there Hoping I get this right. So let's get into it. First of all, we are going to review the games against Oxford and Port Vale. We'll do that briefly just to make sure we do it. Let's tick that off before we get into talking about what everyone wants to listen to, which is obviously the new players coming in. We spoke to Alex from the Elm Park Royals to talk about Tom McIntyre. We spoke to Lee from the Brunton Boogle podcast to talk about Owen Moxon. And then we spoke to Barry from the PWU, which is the Progressive Unity podcast, to get the lowdown on everything you need to know about Callum Lang. Andy's laughing at me, but I'm going to get there in the end because we're going to. After that, we spoke to Danny from It's All Cobblers to Me to get the preview for everything you need to know about the game on Saturday against Northampton. Andy is now clapping at me because it's taken a few goes, should we Seven. say, to get to that point. <laughs> I'm glad you counted that really well. <laughs> Even though it took seven attempts, it was still pretty poor by my standards, but we're going to pick it up from now. We're going to go into the first game against Port Vale. This was an interesting game. Obviously, you guys spoke about how you were there at the game and stuff like that, but looking on the pitch, it was a game, wasn't it, really, boys, that we really should have had done in the first half, done dusted. We should have been putting our bags away, walking off the pitch and just accepting we can just play the rest of the game out, really, without a worry and three points at the bag. Yeah, we should have been clear at half-time, really, to be honest with you. Uh, first takeaway from this is that uh, Stoke is further away than I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was next to Birmingham. and had a horrible surprise when we went through Birmingham. There was still about an hour left on the train. <laughs> Turns out it's quite, yeah, it's not that far from Manchester. The more you know, uh, you should look at places on maps before you actually buy tickets and go there. Anyway, yeah, first half, we... Started a little bit slowly. I think the first chance actually went to Port Vale. They had an effort that we blocked wide before we kind of grew into the game. And I think that's natural because we had Devlin starting in a, a position he's not really played 
in this lineup before. And yeah, started creating chances. I think in the first half, Ogilvy had a good effort that just went uh, not that far over the bar from outside the area. Devlin really should score. I think one of his chances in the first half, like good on him getting in the positions to have those chances when he's playing at right back. That's a, a good sign going forward. But in terms of finishing, it's a cliche, but you do have to score one of those, particularly the one running in late at the far post. I think minimum you hit the target and make the keeper do something special. And yeah, I think the Port Bale keeper made the decent save. I cannot remember who from uh, just before half time as well, made a good save sort of scrambling across his line. So it was a Colby Bishop header from a corner that was hit low. Yeah. It was a very good save that, but yeah, I think, Again, I don't know what XG it was. I don't really care what XG that first half was. But I think the quality of chances we had should really have been one up at half time. Because I mean, Port Vale after that start, they they really weren't good. I was very disappointed. No, I wasn't disappointed. That's the wrong wrong uh, verb. I was. Is it a verb or an adjective? Describing word. It's an adjective. I was very disappointed. It's an adjective, right? That. Um, Recorner. Dictionary corner, yeah. Uh, Susie Dent over here. They were really bad. I was expecting them to be better based on what I'd seen earlier this season, but they were there for the taking. And halftime comes and we should be a goal up, to be honest with you. I don't know if you agree, Fred, but after we've grown into the game a bit there, you have to take one of those chances because Port Bell looked pretty toothless, right? After their fast-dish start. Yeah, they looked like they just didn't have any focal points in the final third, especially when Uche Piazu came off with the dislocated shoulder in the first half. There was nobody really at the at the ends to latch onto the balls when they sometimes won back possession. But now in the in the calmer light of day, I thought Pompey played quite well, especially in the attacking third, even though the chances weren't taken. I thought Miles Pitt-Harris had a brilliant game, linked up with Paddy Lane an awful lot. Those two seemed to know where they were going. Lots of through passes into space, which I really liked. Port Vale blocked a couple of shots in the first half, which could have been dangerous. Connor Ripley kept them in the game a fair bit. I thought Kamara was slightly wasteful in comparison, but no. First half was slow, but built up to it. Thankfully, the control continued in the second half, and and, and they, Pompey eventually got the reward out of it. Yeah, Connor Ripley had a really good game, and we'll talk about an opposition keeper who didn't have as good a game when we come on to the Oxford game, but Connor Ripley, you got to say any of those really could have, he could have let one of those goals in earlier on. I remember MPH, I was going to call it now, drove into space, hit a shot from outside the box that was saved. Paddy Lane had another chance that Ripley managed to parry as well. Larry actually lost the ball in, in centre midfield and Pert Harris comes in short, wins it back and then moves the ball forwards. That ball then finds Lane, who gets it the ball into Bishop, who sort of managed to cushion it back there. And, and Pete Harris then comes in and fires it into the ground. And again, Ripley's there to, to make the save. All these chances, we, we it was looking like we weren't going to score. But just before we come on to that penalty, I just wanted to say that I, I thought it was quite impressive, the work, and we'll come on to that in the second game with Oxford as well, that... Pert Harris had coming back to win the ball. He does really help recycle the ball because I was thinking when he came, would he just be that 10 that just sort of sat in and just created chances forward? But I thought his work off the ball was actually quite impressive as well, which is something I thought he might lose with Robertson going. 
Yeah, I mean, his first proper contribution to the game was a really good crunching tackle that was like a completely fair tackle, half block, half tackle, one-footed, like is going to hurt him to do and didn't even back out for a split second. That was his first contribution was sort of re-winning possession um, in, in that way. And yeah, as you say, as debuts go, it was, it was a pretty good one really, wasn't it? He looked pretty threatening going forward. I think the the one really good chance he had where he opened up his body and sort of telegraphed that it was going to go far post and then kind of scuffed his shot when probably should have done better, I think just showed a slight, I don't know, you could call it rustiness, lack of confidence in that split second in front of goal, whatever you want to call it, that, um, that led the, the chance to be unsuccessful. But had a really good debut on the whole, I thought. And I mean, he impressed me and it, it makes me laugh um, how new signings get the break compared to known players. I don't know what the threshold is time-wise. Like when someone like, I don't know, Morel loses the ball or whatever, you get a certain segment of the fan base going, oh, are you effing whatever? When MPH loses the ball, oh, unlucky lad. Good, go on, son, unlucky, win it back. And I'm wondering what the threshold is in time for a new signing before they transition from unlucky son to, oh, you're an effing P. Like, yeah. Depends if they score any goals or create any True. assists between that. It basically yeah. builds up your sort of leverage with the fan base. You get credit. It's like a, it's like Experian. You get a credit score. Yeah, you do. <laughs> if it gets knocked down over time, if you don't contribute mm. anything attacking until the fans eventually, yeah. you know, get on your back. But yeah, I no, think... I thought I thought it was a great debut. His passing's obviously very good. His vision's good. I thought at some times, maybe you could see he's just come into the team. So whilst he linked up really well with Paddy Lane, there was other times where maybe some players weren't quite up to speed with how he was playing as well. So I think as that goes forward and as those relationships are built, I, I think it's only going to get better. I did actually re- reach out to a Forest Green podcast, but unfortunately they didn't get back to me. They've aired me completely. Even well, we though I was get... super naggy about it as well. They're going to get relegated. So that's, that's a them problem. They'll go out of the football league and we won't have them on the pod again for a fair while. So, uh, not that we get at all butthurt when uh, when we get ghosted by another pod, but uh, I hope they go down and uh, never come back up again. That's it. I'm going to go speak to Brentford now and try and get someone else there who's an all expert right. on their development squad to come onto the podcast, people listening. But, oh yeah, back to the game quickly. Let's go to the penalty decision before we move into Oxford. I think it's a great tackle from from Shaughnessy to win the ball back. It's a solid track tackle, but it's, it's a fantastic tackle there. Ball goes through to Kamara. He gets there first, puts his body on in the right position to win the to win the penalty. I think it's I think it's harsh, maybe soft, but at the same time, when you look at the angle that I think Max must have recorded, whoever it was, where you know you're facing Kamara basically, and he's running that way, and you see the player come in from behind on him, it actually does look much more like a penalty. You can see the contact there. So from the first eye follow angle, should we say? It looks a lot more suspect. When you see it from the angle where he's running towards you, I think it's just very clumsy from the defender. And that's sort of the the sort of direct line behind the referee had. So I can kind of understand why it's given. I think it's one of those ones that you're annoyed if it goes against you, but you can kind of see why it's a penalty if it goes for you. And yeah, it's given. Before I get on to the actual Colby Bishop having to wait around for absolutely ages in order to take that penalty in what is a very hostile environment, isn't it? Let's be honest there. At Port Vale generally. And, and just then, snow <laughs> And then add that in as On well. <laughs> yeah. Add that in as well. Um, yeah, but first of all, Freddie Webb, do you think it's a penalty? From the stand, I thought it definitely was because Conor Grant committed 
and didn't get any of the ball. At the very least, it was clumsy and he put himself in there. On the eye follow angle, it looked softer to me because it looked as if even though Grant stuck his foot out, the Kamara was anticipating the contact and went down. Now we can get into the whole holistic argument of just because it's contact, is it a penalty and all that sort of thing. I think it's soft, but I would give it as a pen. At first glance, on the back of the stand, it looked like a pen because the defender was nowhere near the ball and committed and missed. So, Andy, I, I would be fuming if that was one of our defenders at the death that steps into someone like that and ends up you know, giving that ref the decision to make. And Do you feel the same way as Freddie and me then? Yeah, pretty much ad verbatim, to be honest with you. I think the Kamara gets past his man and it's a stupid challenge to put well, to even give the referee that decision to make, essentially. And I think it is, you can make a good argument, it's a soft penalty, but that's still a penalty. It's a soft penalty because the defender didn't need to give it away. Uh, Kamara gets the wrong side of him. Defender doesn't do that well to start with. Yeah, and I think if I'm if I'm a Pompey fan, I'm going to argue that, that it's a soft penalty and that it shouldn't have been given, etc. But I think that's being given more often than it isn't. And it's a it's just stupid from the Port Vale player. And like you can see from the Vale player's reaction, like he went down on his haunches outside the box. He didn't sprint to the ref telling him what an awful decision it was. He went down on his sort of yeah, onto his haunches and put his head in his hands. I mean, obviously I know that the ref's not going to change his decision if the player complains, but he didn't sprint to the referee and start protesting his innocence from as far as I can remember. I've not actually seen the eye follow angle. I've not seen the highlights from TV. So this is purely from from watching it live. So I could be way off base. But, yeah, I, I think you're going to see that given as a penalty more often than not. And, yeah, pretty stupid challenge. So the last thing we can say about this Port Vale game, then I'm going to move this on, is Bishop had to wait a lot of time, didn't he, for that penalty? And I know Messino also came out our post-match and said he had to wait for that penalty. He'd missed the penalty and got some stick from it from the fans at Fratton Park. And he picks the ball up. And we've got to say, he looked convicted. He stood up, he banged the penalty in. And that's it, really. Yeah, I think just a quick shout out to Connor Ogilvy coming back into the side was really solid. Same for Oxford United, we'll talk about in a sec. But I think special mention does need to go to him because he slipped straight back into the side and looked like he hasn't been out since it was Cambridge when he went off. And just there's waltz back in and looked so solid. And he was one of our better players in that first half we'll talk about against, against Oxford United. Uh, also, yeah, as Freddie said, first time I've ever seen a fan chaser referee. Uh, for a 61-year-old, that fan had a good turn of speed. Credit with you. 62, even even more so. Like If I can run like that when I'm 62, I'll be fairly pleased with my, my cardio life, to be honest with you. But yeah, obviously, we, we make a joke about it in hindsight. Now we know that the fan didn't have anything dodgy on him, but pretty bad stewarding to allow a fan to get across the pitch from where he did. Uh, the fan could have had anything on him, could have had a knife, could have had anything these days. But now we know that the fan didn't have that, we can just find it funny. So, you know, power of hindsight. Yeah, yeah. Disgraceful behaviour, obviously. Um, what can you say about that? Let's move on to the Oxford game. Pompey started a bit slow in this game. The passing was quite slow. We did well, sort of, you know, we kept possession, we knocked it around. Didn't seem too much urgency to get the ball forward. And whilst I'm not one of these people who's like, get the ball forward, bump it forward. Don't believe that at all. But the movement going forward wasn't great enough. People were a little bit static. It was a bit sluggish, I suppose. But 
Oxford had a bit of joy on the right-hand side, even in the first half as well, and obviously went on later on to punish us in that. I think when we look at the first goal, because there's a lot of nothing that happened before that, Shaughnessy basically steps up, doesn't get the ball, and then suddenly it's a three-on-two. And in that situation at the back, Raggett's one of those two. He's not the quickest. We're being run at. We're backing off. And Tyler Goodrum, who's man of the match in this game, really, by far... Oxford's best player, most dangerous player, all game, causes all kinds of problems, hits the ball from outside the box, it's a great strike, and, and it goes in and it's 1-0 Oxford. I mean, it's one of those goals, isn't it? I do think it's a three-on-two, it's difficult to defend, but in this game, we gave their forward line quite a lot of space to run at us, didn't we? Yeah, it played into Oxford's hands a little bit, and uh, it's a shame about Shortness's first touch. It was quite poor when he was bringing it out. And I know there were plenty of chances for the midfield. I mean, it was like two occasions where they could have won the ball. Lowry putting his foot in a fair bit. But no, it fell to Marcus McGuane eventually. He puts in a very nice through ball to Goodrum. And then you're in the worst possible scenario of Pompey's defence. Pompey's defence still doesn't do very well with players running at them. And they backed off, which is the right thing to do. Try to stay the shape. And then invited Goodrum to take the, you know, the the, the lesser clear cut chance with a shot from twenty yards, but he absolutely buries it. And yeah, it was a shame that Pompey's slow start was punished against greater opposition rather than the last slow start against Port Vale, where it really wasn't. Let me try and turn it turn it around in the second half a bit, and they do come out a bit faster, I think, even before the change of shape. And there's some nice passing around. In the end, it come, comes to a cross and Kamara gets his head to it, heads it on goal. It's, you know, it's not too difficult a save there for Simon Eastwood. Actually, should say, shouldn't I? My best mate, Simon Eastwood, coming on at half time. I said to, to Freddie, I was like, this could be absolute gold for us because, as everyone knows, he's listened for a while. And most Pompey fans, let's be honest, don't rate Simon Eastwood at all. So I had a little celebration or jump up when he came on like this. Yay. That was about as enthusiastic as I was, but yeah. So he comes on. I thought he was pretty poor. Lowry has a shot from distance again. You can see the tempos being picked up a little bit by Pompey. Oxford are sort of pinned in their own half a lot more. And then we managed to get the first goal. And you've got to say though, before that, Caleb Lang coming on as well changing our shape a little bit more as well with the two tens sort of in behind Bishop going to three at the back. It really made a difference and Oxford didn't really know what to do. I suppose a little bit, they didn't adapt to the shape quickly. Kamara, who was a bit hit and miss in this game at start, gets the ball down the right-hand side and does what he does well. He beats his man. He gets the ball. He pulls it back for Lang, which is exactly the right thing to do. Lang blasts it on goal. Simon Eastwood, let's be honest, he's terrible. He spills it all over the place. It, it's quite poor from him, really. And Colby Bishop follows it up. I think credit to, massive credit to Messino for changing the shape the way he did. Basically, that first half, uh, it's Greg Lee, who was the left back for Oxford United, just barely broke sweat. It was, the, um, it was the reason that Kamara struggled to make an impact on the game in that first half. Aside from our poor distribution, Greg Lee just had it comfortably covered. And then the changes, particularly, as you say, when Callum Lang came on second half into that sort of inside forward, inside right position, that Kamara was basically a little bit more defensive on the right in that 3-5-ish, well, 
three four two one. It was really, wasn't it? Ish bit of a weird shape in the middle, but yeah, more of a three four two one. And having that pose such a different challenge to Lee because he was having to come inside to cover Lang, which gave Kamara that overlap and allowed him to make an impact on the game. So. Yeah, I think credit to Messino for that because the change of shape, as you say, it caused Lee different problems, whereas he just hadn't been put under any pressure in that first half at all. Uh, Tyler Bury, their right winger, is rapid. He is he caused so many issues down our left-hand side, particularly to when um, when Ogilvy had got forward and then Shocknessy is covering that left side of defence as they break. Bury was going to cause he's going to cause a lot of players issues in the second half of this season I'm not sure if he came off because of a knock or because he was just being rested but it was a big relief when he went off their number 16 it was lovely for us when he did because uh, he's a very very good player so yeah I think in terms of that first goal obviously credit to the players involved but also I don't think that goal happens if Messino doesn't change shape and give Kamara more space on the right because of the impact that Lang had after coming on. And then obviously it's just, yes, yeah, a scramble in the box. As you say, Eastwood's poor. Thankfully for Oxford, I was told earlier um, from a friend of mine who works in the club that they think it's just a minor groin injury for coming. So he'll be back in the side fairly quickly. They don't think it's a, a case that Eastwood's going to have to come into the side for a long period of time. So sadly for um, us. Yeah, how disappointing that is. Yeah, could have got us some extra points in uh, sort of net profit if Eastwood's going to throw one into the net every week for them. We'll go from disappointing, though, to absolutely outstanding because Callum Lang's goal, Marlon Pack plays the ball through to him. It's a great ball to find him. It's a great run as well from Lang. His first touch is great. It brings it under control really quickly. He's got great feet, hasn't he? He also manages to shield off the... Shield off the defender nicely by getting his body into the right place and getting his foot straight on the ball. And then he just goes to work, doesn't he? With four players around him, skips through. I don't know how he manages to get that shot off. Whether Simon East would just do better with that as well. Maybe his positioning's poor, etc. But I think it's the way the shot was shielded as well. It's it's one of those goals that he probably doesn't see happening at that time. He probably thinks one of the defenders would get a foot in as well. But absolutely amazing goal there on his debut. Freddie Webb, Callum Lang. Yeah, lovely finish in the end, wasn't it? And um, very good pass by Marlon Pat to actually bring the ball forward like that. But the the control by Lang and the ability to hold off the defenders and then spot the gap in the penalty area to run on and then get it on his strong foot. It was excellent and a little bit of quality that sometimes Pompey have lacked and that's why um, he's been brought in effectively. I don't think I'd blame the goalkeeper for the, um, the Lang strike actually. Again, I think if it, if you've got four defenders around a wigger and somehow he's able to drive, get it on his strong foot in the penalty area from that position and get the shot off that goes in the corner, I think the blame lies with them, I think. Yeah, it was pretty terrible defending, wasn't it? We'll come on to talk about some more suspect defending now, really, because it's one of those things, really, and... Oxford have been knocking before this. They had a free kick. Ended up being knocked over by Norris as well. It's a decent save to palm it over. A bit unsuspecting to get to him, I suppose, at that point as well. And the ball for this goal just goes over the top of Towler. Now, before we get into this, I'm guessing Ogilvy was being rested because he effectively played a lot of minutes coming back. We've rotated him off. We put Towler on. 
I know Proudy mentioned to us in our chat, maybe we should have taken Lane off and put, if you're going to put a defender on there and kept Ogilvy in this game, but it's sort of, it's in hindsight, isn't it really? But let's talk about the goal because the ball comes over the top. Towler doesn't deal with it at all well, really. He gets spun nicely by the Oxford player who then sort of cuts inside. At that point, Sean Raggett has to come out to him, really close down that space and stop him getting a shot away as well. He also backs off, running back, and there's just a huge amount of space, isn't there, before he gets the shot away. I know there's a bit of debate whether Norris should have done better with it. I think he should get pushed that away, really. But the blame isn't really with Norris on this goal. The blame is with the, with the defence and how much space they allowed the Oxford player to get the shot away. And then in the end, it spins up and it pretty much goes into the net without James Henry who is an annoyance anyway to all Pompey fans, but he pops up and he heads it in and it's heartbreak really, isn't it, at the end of the game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, they, Mark. I know Mark Harris did quite well as soon as he got onto the ball, skinned Towler quite nicely when I was able to get it onto a strong foot. But it was the best header to start with where Towler should have done a lot better. And I'm not sure what Sean Maggot was doing. He, 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 he You either try and get into a central position, try and block a shot, or you go to your man. He did neither, it seemed, really. I couldn't, I couldn't exactly tell. Um, and I know with Norris, some people saying the ball sort of did a weird bounce, so that's why it sort of parried, it parried upwards rather than sideways. I think he has to do better as well, to be quite frank, but if the shot isn't made in the first place, from the missed header, then we're not having that argument in the first place. Gutting, I thought, because um, unfortunately the rotation probably didn't learn their lesson and they invited lots of pressure from Oxford. Um, it showed in the XG stats, Oxford had the better of the game, overall anyway. And a lot of those chances were from just allowing their front three loads of space to run onto the defence. And we know what we know what happens to Pompey's defence when they allow that to happen. So, gutting... A tool draw and a point overall isn't horrendous, but we're getting to the point of the season where there's not many games left and other sides around the Blues are going to keep winning. And if they are, then it might have to be nine points from a possible nine instead of seven points from a possible nine. Um, yeah, I think in terms of this performance, yeah, that I mean, the goal we can see at the end live, I thought it was just such a good save from Norris. Uh, having watched it back, yeah, he's got to do a bit better, hasn't he? I think we were obviously a distance away from it. It looked it looked like a worldy save live from where I was at and just unfortunate that it bounced up. But I think seeing it back with from a better angle and more closely, he's probably got to do a bit better with it. I still don't agree. There's, there seems to be just like pick a player each week we lose and just jump on them in comment chains on social media. And this week apparently is Norris and I think a load of rubbish. Got the most clean sheets in for any goalkeeper in League One this season has got us so many points from clutch saves at the right times and he shouldn't have been put in that position by his defence on this occasion as you said Hugh completely agree with you I think the the first half is it was definitely a concern it was it was pretty it was dire if we've been completely honest in ter- not in terms of like individual errors but in terms of speed in terms of urgency in terms of cutting edge the, the number of balls that were just played Raggett to Ogilvy, Ogilvy to Raggett, Raggett to Ogilvy, Ogilvy to Raggett, Raggett to Norris, high press executed, Norris clears long, we lose ball. It was a, a repeated theme that really was not good. Uh, having said that, I think 
some portions of the fan base for me got on their backs a bit too quickly for that. Um, having said that, it was a full half of pedestrian football at the back, to put it mildly. And I think even, well, I mean, even by the end of the half, even I was getting pretty frustrated with it because there were times when the Ford ball was on and they didn't take it. And I genuinely don't know why. And it's something that I know Messino mentioned in his end of match comments that he addressed at halftime. The pedestrian football in the first half was it was very, very, very poor. And Oxford weren't great in that first half. They were just a little bit more clinical when they got their opportunity. And I genuinely, I think, for both sides, it's two points dropped. I guess based on that, you'd say a draw is fair. But Oxford will feel like they should have won that based on how poor we were first half. And we should have won that based off the fact we were 2-1 up in the 89th minute. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to see the changes that we saw that worked, but that first half was, was it was a pretty tough watch, to be honest with you, the speed of it all. Should have cashed out my bet as well, but there you go. Yeah, nah, you don't don't cash out on bets. You, uh, you commit, don't you? That's it. If you're going to gamble, solid. if you're going to gamble, gamble properly. I mean, That's don't it. gamble, obviously. We don't endorse that, obviously. But uh, if you're going to do it, you know, commit. <laughs> That's one pound down the drain for me. Oh, okay. bank, bank breaker. Right, I'm going to move us on now. We're going to leave the Oxford game behind us. And S. Fred, you got anything else to say? No, cool. All right, let's move on. We spoke to Lee from the Brunton Boogle podcast to talk about everything to do with Owen Moxon. Now, just a little caveat. It is currently quarter to 10 on Wednesday evening. And as far as I can see, and this has happened whilst we're recording, which is usual stuff, Moxon hasn't signed. But you know what? We're going to be a little bit confident. We're going to put it in here. And let's listen to Lee talk all about Owen Moxon. All right, we're here with Lee from the Brunt's Boogle podcast. And Lee, thanks for coming on the show. No problem at all. Good to have you back, mate, on the show. After we spoke to you earlier on in the season, obviously... Let's just get into it then, I suppose. Owen Moxon. Looking at him as a player, I know Pompey have supposedly, he's been rumored to say, he's been watching him for more than this season. It's gone back a while and Rich Hughes likes to track people in that sense. So he had such a breakout season, didn't he, in League Two for you? He looked like, you know, the complete midfielder, I'd say, from a certain level, as much as you can be from a League Two midfielder, I suppose. And this season's been a little bit more challenging, a contract year. And there's been a lot of chat from some people that, you know, he's not lived up to the expectations of what they expected to be in League One. What are your thoughts on that, Lee? I think that's a tad harsh from a decent chunk of our fan base to say that because, look, as you say there, his, his rise has been unbelievable. You know, to go from, what, 24 months ago, he was driving a UPS fan and playing part-time for Anon Athletic. First season as a full-time professional, what was it? 20 goal involvement, I think, over the season, like 17 assists and six goals, I think, something like that. Um, he was phenomenal last season. He, he, he took to league to like a, a Dr. Walter. He was incredible. I think some of our fans thought, yeah, oh, it'd be a breeze. He'll just do exactly the same in, in League One. That was never going to be the case. We weren't really able to strengthen the way we wanted over the summer, which didn't really help things. Um, as you know, we've been taken over by an American family. We're seeing ourselves in the, having American ownership now. Um but they wanted to take over in the summer. But in terms of getting all the uh, approvals and all that sorted, it took a lot longer than expected. So we were able to strengthen in the summer. We still had a bottom six budget for League One. 
he's been having to carry the team a lot and he wasn't helped by the fact that Callum Guy got an ACL injury at the start of November and Callum Guy's been fantastic for us. He's a, well, pushing on 200 appearances for us now, hold the midfielder. He's a lot of the donkey work and that gave Moxon a bit more freedom to be that box-to-box midfielder. Since then, Moxon has had to do a bit more of the defensive side and be that sitting midfielder. And as a result, we haven't seen quite as much of him, which has been frustrating. Um, yeah, the, the contract stuff, maybe that's affected him a little bit. I don't know. I, I just think, I just think with better players around him, he's going to look a better player. And I, it's a sliding door sort of moment. If if the takeover happens in the summer and we get the reinforcements and let's say we're sitting around about where like Northampton laying on tower right now, then there's every chance he signs that new deal. Thinks, well, this is the club going places. Potentially we could kick on to push for the playoffs next season. As it is, if we stay up, we're going to stay up by the skin of our teeth in, in the League One. There's every chance we're going to go down. He doesn't want to go back to down to League Two. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he wants to play at the championship level. He wants to test himself. He thinks, a lot of our fans forget he's 26 years old. He's not 21. You know, he, he's, he's he's not a youngster in that sense. He's coming into the prime of his career. He's probably only got two big moves left in him. So I totally understand why he wants to make the move. And yeah, I, I think he's he's done better. If you look at the stats, he's still by far our best performer, I think, this season. There's not many getting any near close to him. So yeah, I, I think it's harsh to suggest he hasn't. He's, he's been a disappointment. I think he just maybe hasn't quite hit the maybe over-the-top expectations some people had of him. Yeah, I read your thread earlier, actually, Lee, before knowing it was you who was coming on the pod today. So that's, for some reason, it was on my For You bit of X. So you're ticking the algorithm somewhere. So well done for that. But um, you said there about having sort of a bottom end of League One budget. This is quite late in the transfer window for this deal to be going through. In terms of Carlisle strengthening and using, I mean, whatever the fee is going to be, it's, they're going to report it as undisclosed, I'd imagine. Yeah. But you're, look, you're probably looking at six figures, I'd imagine. Is there someone or something in the works for you before the end of the transfer window, or is this just weakening your playing squad and, you know, you're hoping you, to use your term, stay up by the skin of your teeth? It, it, it's a tough one. If you ask me personally, my personal opinion, and a lot of times we disagree with this, I wouldn't spend the money right now. I would keep it for the summer and use it then when we can get better value for money, whether we're in League One or League Two, of a midfielder who can really make a difference. We've got quite a lot of players in midfield at the moment. We could get one in, I suppose, maybe to cover for it. Truth is, it's one of those ones where he said he's not going to sign the contract. We have said, essentially, then, I think we basically, at that point, right, well, we'll listen to offers, but it has to be something either a very good or a stupid offer, I think, is the nearest thing you can get to. And I think, from what I can gather, you guys are somewhere in between that, as in very good, but probably a little bit better than we maybe expected. I'm not maybe allowed to get an insane offer. Like, you know, we wanted like 800, 900 grand in the summer when Blackpool offered quarter of a million. We said, no, I reckon it's probably nearer to what Blackpool offered originally back then. Because I think you guys, obviously, with the injury you got on Monday night to Morel, I think it was. They're clearly going to need to get an extra midfielder in. So we've maybe taken a slight advantage. I said, okay, well, if you offer this much, he's yours. And we're not going to stand in his way. At the end of the day, that money can be reinvested. The contract he was offered was probably one of the best contracts the club's ever offered to a player. So that money can be reinvested in terms of signing players as well. We also lost Joe Garner today. He's gone to Oldham uh, on a permanent deal. So we, we need another striker as well. So maybe they'll get invested in that way. I don't know. But yeah, I, I kind of feel like... I'd be amazed if we didn't maybe sign a midfielder, but personally, I wouldn't. I think I'd, I'd wait till this summer and I'd take a much more long-term, pragmatic view. But then football's not always about long-term and pragmatism, is it? It's about 
panic signings and bringing in players on stupid money that you then are stuck with and can't get rid of. Thankfully, the owners we've got now seem to be a lot more forward thinking and they've taken the, the thought of, well, you know what? He wants to better himself. It's a really good offer from a, a club that's up at the top end of the table. They're probably going to be in the championship next season. I've got a very good chance of being in there at the very least. Why stand in his way? It's a good offer. We we can reinvest that elsewhere. So, so yeah, will we sign anyone? I don't know. Is the brutally honest answer. It's, it's leaving it quite late, but we generally have lists of players that we can tap into if we need to. You mentioned Owen Moxon's box-to-box capability, mm-hmm. and you said that that's, that's where Eddie Sar gets the best out of him. He, I assume he would probably play in the double pivot for Pompey alongside a Tom Lowry or a Marlon Pack. Not as far up as like a Miles per Harris in the cam, but slightly deeper. Do you think that's the right position for him then? to be able to get up and down and do a little bit of everything in terms of yeah. passing, moving, tackling, etc. Yeah, absolutely. That's what he did for us last season. So last season we played 3-5-2 most of the time, wing-backs, and the midfield three was Callum Guy was the, sort of, I the equivalent of Marlon Pack for you guys, sitting there, covering the back four, picking up the ball, starting off the attacks. Um, Moxon was the box-to-box. He would do a bit of both, you know, he'd be up, he'd be up and down. And then Jordan Gibson would usually be the third midfield player or maybe Alfie McCallum in the second half of the season. Was that third midfield player who pressed a bit more against the, the opposition defenders and, and got the ball forward. So, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how he'll fit in. He likes a... Some like say he likes a Hollywood ball, you know, and I think I replied to, I think one of your guys is at Hancock Analytics, something like that. I think I replied to him with a... A video of uh, his assist against Barrow last season. If you want to go and check it out, it's the, his assist for Joe Garner against Barrow last season. Unbelievable Freddie ball. Took like three defenders out of the game and played the ball through to um, to Garner. Having won the ball back off through a midfielder already, you know, he's capable of doing that. He's capable of having a good long-range shot. Um, his free kicks and corners haven't been as good this season. They've been a little bit disappointing, if I'm honest. But I think that might be as much that we lost our uh, goalkeeping coach in the summer, Paul Gerard left, and he had a big part in terms of organising set pieces and we were really good at them last season. Dave Timmons, who's coming to replace him, hasn't really brought the same level of quality to that from what we can see so far. The set pieces have been found wanting a bit, if I'm honest. And yes, his delivery hasn't been that great, but maybe the routines we're doing aren't that great either. So I, I don't know, but yeah, he, he definitely, that that's absolutely the role I would play him in, 100%. Do you feel that Owen has any particular weaknesses to his game that we need to sort of work on or develop. And obviously you have some good players around him. We mentioned Pac, Tom Lowry, for instance, you know, Joe Morrell when he's fit and, you know, we will get some link up play and help in that sense with, from the coaching department. But is there anything that we need to work on with him and he needs to develop in his game? Um, it's a tough one that one. He isn't the quickest. I mean, that's not really something you work on, is it? He's not a slouch either to be fair. And when he gets the ball, he can get away, he can drive forward really well. I think one of the things he needs to he needs to learn quicker is he's not going to get as much time on the ball in this division as he did in in League Two, and that's taken him a little bit of a while to get used to. He's probably going to get a bit more time on the ball now he's playing for you guys because you know at the end of the day, we, you guys are going to have the ball a lot more and and press a bit better, so that might not be as much of a problem. Um, I don't know really because he's he's a pretty good tackler; he can win the ball back quite well. You know, like I said, he's got a good, good long range shot on him. Maybe he needs to work a bit more on his direct free kicks. He's only scored one direct free kick for us. He was a brilliant free kick against Fleetwood at the start of the season, but he's not really scored that many of those. So maybe that's something where he could work on a little bit. But generally, all around, he's 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 a good midfielder. Maybe 
if he's going to sit a bit deep, he maybe needs to get a bit, bit more positionally aware, aware of doing that role, possibly. But it, it, it's a weird one because for the role he does, he's very, very good at it, to be fair. I think with with us, Pack will very much play in the deep line sort of playmaker role. So he, he will be expected to play a little bit further forward out of the two of the pivot. So it's not like mm-hmm. he's going to have to sit in and play that sort of holding midfielder role, really. He obviously will have to protect the back four. He'll have to, you know, when people go press forward from back, he will, you know, sit in a bit there. But I think I think it's a situation where obviously we had the injury to, to Joe Morrell. We don't know what it's going to be like. There's a scan that's going to be on Friday on his knee, but something popped out the back of his knee whilst running along. So that's never a good, never a good sign. And as we said, I think that has given us the urge to go, do you know what, rather than trying to cheap it out and waiting it till the summer and maybe picking up on free, we'll, we'll give you an extra hundred grand or whatever it was that we're yeah. going to him back and forward over. And because at the end of the day, that hundred thousand pounds, if that helps you get promoted, it's a, it's a good investment, isn't exactly. it? Really? Absolutely, absolutely. I can totally understand why you do it. I mean, for us, that extra hundred grand potentially is, you know, signing a one of the best midfielders in the league two next season or something like that. You know, to, to give ourselves another kick on. So, realistically, I think it's a it's a move that works for all parties. I mean, as long as he maybe picks up a mystery illness just before the game at Brunton Park in a couple of weeks' time, I think we'll all be absolutely delighted with it. But um, no, he's um, yeah, it, it absolutely. Really makes sense for you guys really it's, it's one of those ones i remember a few years back sam cosgrave who's at barnsley now we signed him um in the summer of 2018 i think it was and he only played five games for us and he actually did really well in those five games then suddenly aberdeen came in and gave him a pre-contract to sign him at the end of the season We're like what this just come out of nowhere and then we negotiated with aberdeen for them to give us 50 grand for a player they were going to sign permanently in the summer anyway to get him then plus a 20 percent salon clause and i think we made about we made something stupid about half a million off him and he played five games for us it's ridiculous so sometimes these things you know work out for clubs for Aberdeen it worked out brilliantly because he was fantastic for them so yeah I I, I think it totally makes sense I think for, for both clubs I, I think you'll slot in just fine you know you're also getting a player who's been playing week in week out you're not signing like a player from like a you know a, a Premier League or Championship under 21 squad who's you know maybe been playing a handful of games for their reserves and not really up to speed he will be up to speed he's played pretty much every game since he signed for us so yeah, he'll be he'll be he'll be fine for you, I reckon. The only one thing I would say is he's been reportedly playing with a bit of a hip injury this season. And he could have had a little maybe a little operation to sort that out, and he hasn't. And this is a little bit of concern as that's maybe why his performances haven't been quite as good. It's not a major problem, I don't think, because he's only missed like a couple of games as a result of it. But there's a feeling of like we wonder if that was an issue, or maybe it's just a case of he's been holding back just to make sure he doesn't make it worse and cost himself a move at some point. Lee, thank you for giving three people a migraine simultaneously there. Sorry. That's, that's appreciated. Uh, the the audio podcast won't pick up the communal facepalm you got from the other three corners. I was, was going to say, that's another player Pompey signing with, with an underlying <laughs> injury that hasn't been noticed. And now all of a sudden, oh, there it is. <laughs> it's never come back to bite us before, Freddie. I'm sure we'll be fine. <laughs> um, Lee, on the sort of just general Carlisle front, just out of interest while we've got you here, Um away from Owen Moxon. I saw a while ago there was sort of a, I wouldn't go far as to call it a spat, but um, was it Paul Simpson coming out and talking about the fan base and some getting some negative feedback from the fan base, even though he's obviously done a lot for the club. Yeah. It was a minority. Has that all settled down down at Carlisle now? Are things back to sort of the status quo, normal vibes, or is there still a bit of rumbling on in the background? I think generally it's fine. Um, that happened after the Blackpool game. We got beat 3-0 in that game and we weren't great that day. It was horrible. After, it was 
going to Blackpool at the start of December is not a, an enjoyable weekend for anyone, really. It was pouring down with rain, blowing a gale. We didn't play well. But I think we had our first shot in 70 minutes or something like that. And it was at that point we're like, oh, we are in a desperate situation here in that game. I think actually Moxon went off injured in that game. I think that's the one where he, the, the first mention of his hip injury was. But he only missed one game after that. And like he's played every game since then, pretty much. So it's it, clearly not an issue. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really worrying you. <laughs> keep mentioning it. But um, yeah, no, the stuff with Simo is fine. I think, I, I think uh, the impression I got was he did that to take a bit of pressure off the players, basically, because they were get they got a lot of stick at the end of that. He wasn't the one getting stick at the end of the game. He came across with the players. It was the players getting the stick. And I think he took it as I'm getting personal abuse and, I think he maybe used that a little bit to sort of say to the players, right, I've I've dug you out of a hole there. You better put performance in for me. They actually played quite well in the next game against Northampton. Not so well in the game against Cheltenham after that, which is the story of our season. One good game, one bad game, just consistent. But I think most of our fans are realistic and know that this was always going to be a really tough campaign for us, especially with the fact that the takeover didn't get sorted until November. Since then, the back of the new owners have given him his incredible, you know, Luke Armstrong apparently paid a quarter of a million pounds to sign him from... Harrogate, which is comfortably our record transfer. Harry Lewis from Bradford as well. You know, Harrison Neal coming in. The, the investment's going in and off the pitch as well. You'll see when you come up in a couple of weeks. It's so much better around the ground. There's got like these banners of all the players up around the ground. And if the fan zone's brilliant, so if you guys want to get down to there before the game behind the main stand, it's it's really, really good. So there's a real positive vibe. It's one of these things of, if we'd gone down under the previous area, there's going to be a panic of like, we're not going to be getting back up for a long time now. That was just luck. Whereas if we went down this time, I think a lot of people were like, okay, we've got a decent chance of making a fist of coming back, which I know sounds negative, so I'm not going down, but it's it's being realistic because of the position we're in. It's going to be really tough to, to get ourselves out of trouble. Probably going to jinx Pompey with this next question, but you mentioned Owen Moxon being take, taking a while to get up to speed in League One. If, if our dreams come true and Pompey get promoted to the Championship... Do you see him fitting in, or would it be a case of him potentially going back on loan to League One or something? See, some of our fans seem to think, yeah, he, he would struggle in the championship. I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I think he could make the step up definitely. Um, with better players around him, you're going to see a much better player than you've seen this season. I mean, I say he's taken a while to get up to speed, he scored like two goals in his opening few games and set up the other goal, I think. So he, he started quite well. The truth is, as a team, we just haven't performed as well, and the expectation's been on his shoulders a lot. He's a little spells where he's looked up to it. And I think with a team that's dominating games a lot more and keeping all the ball like you guys do, he'll be fine. And I think championship level, yeah, again, it might take him a little bit of time to get up to speed. But again, he's going to be playing with better plays. He's going to be working with better coaches, arguably, better training on things like that. It'll make a huge, huge difference to him. And look, I, I've always thought he's, he's a player who'd, who should probably have been a target by championship clubs last summer. As it was, Blackpool were the only ones offered. You guys are... Uh, I don't want to say championship club in waiting because I might be jinxing you a little bit there, but you know, you are, you guys are right up there and potentially, you know, in the position to get yourselves up. So yeah, I, I think it'd be fine in the championship. Don't worry, Lee, you can't be jinxing us because Freddie just went out and fully jinxed us straight away there with, I want to go ahead of myself. Well, I think I said that with the Callum Lang thing as well. So <laughs> <laughs> made it even worse, but there we are. Let's just ask everyone that question, right, Freddie, just so you can really make sure that the uh, the football gods were listening when you said it. But Lee, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today on short no notice. Problem. I only messaged you today and you've um, come straight on. I really appreciate it. And they Pompey fans do as well. So and why don't you get to tell people where they can uh, have a listen to your podcast, especially with the Pompey game coming up? Yeah, uh, basically, 
just search for the Brunton Bugle um, on any good podcast app. We're all on there. Just you can go there and, and find the episodes, um, bruntonbugle.com as well. We'll be talking probably a bit in depth about uh, Moxon's move uh, on our episode this week as well. So if you want to tune in for the probably the opening 10 or 15 minutes, we'll be talking about that. So you can you can switch it off after that because I'm sure you don't want to hear about Bolton battering us 4-1 last week because, yeah, that wasn't an enjoyable game for us to say the least. If you if you managed to get a draw against Bolton before, then I think Pompey fans would have loved to listen in, you know. But um... uh, well, we beat them three one at the start of the season. We were brilliant. This time round, they just they were just a cut above, a real cut above. Lee, mate, thanks again for the podcast, no and have a good evening. Cheers. Honestly, Hugh, if Owen Moxon's medical failed, at least we've got a fascinating tidbit of life at Carlisle United. So things could always be worse. But um, I'm hoping it's a 10pm signing, which is in 17 minutes. And then we look very, very, you know, ahead of the curve or at least vaguely caught up with the curve. If he doesn't sign, then, uh, well, that was interesting to learn about a player that we'll never see again. Yeah, I mean, Andy Moon said that he thinks it's pretty much done. So I'm, if it doesn't happen, we, we've done our best. We've done our best to provide content here. Let's go on and talk about the next player then. We hope, hope you've joined the Pompey family, Owen, but let's talk about the player who has already signed. So we spoke to Barry from the Progress of Unity podcast to discuss everything about Callum Lang. Now, we spoke about it, we spoke to Barry during the halftime of the Oxford game, so before he actually scored or came on. And Barry's pretty complimentary and pretty high on Callum Lang, as you're about to hear now. So here's Barry. From the PWU podcast. All right, I'm here with Barry from the Progressive Unity podcast. And Barry, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Uh, talking about the latics, I love it. So, uh, yeah, let's get started. Yeah, no, it's great to have you back on again. Obviously, we've uh, both done each other's shows a few times. So you'll be familiar to some of the, some of the listeners as it goes anyway. So... Let's get started then. We're obviously here to talk about Callum Lang. Signed for us, reportedly at a fairly decent fee as well for Wigan. So from a Wigan perspective, I just want to know, are you happy that he's gone in the sense of the money, the value, and are you looking to replace him? I'm not happy that he's gone. He's been with us since he was 14. He's come through the ranks. You'll get to, to know Callum Lang. He's such a top guy. He's, he's very... Uh, likeable, he's a character, buzzing, he loves playing football. He's just like the kid off the park, he wants to play football. To be honest with you, he's, he, you know, he's a, he's a good striker and last time he was in this division, I think he, he bagged 14 league goals and about eight assists. So, you know, we're missing that as well from him. I don't know what the fee is. I, I think it's somewhere between, I've heard different valuations from like 200,000 up to 750, probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, will we replace him? Uh, I doubt it. I doubt it. Not until the end of the season, anyway. We're still a club that got a transfer embargo on us. We can't pay any cash for any players. Uh, we're up to our quarter on loan signing. So I, I just think we'll crack on without him for the rest of the season. I've noticed this season that Callum Lang hasn't played as much as he did previously in the Championship. Also, you've got players like Marshall Goddo coming in and doing very well. How do you think Callum Lang's done? this season then? Has, has his form dipped a fair bit? What's been going on? Well, if you listen to quite a few vocal Latics fans, they'll, they'll probably tell you it's dipped and the reason it's dipped is because he's been played out of position. I think he, he has been 
slightly in a different position than we're used to seeing him. And that's why he hasn't been scoring the goals this season. Marshall Goddard, as you mentioned, is a, is a really good player. But he's often played in a three with Goddard. We play with this like false nine, you know, like we have three strikers who rotate between them and one will drop into, well, two will drop into midfield and one will, will just go across the front line. And, and he was playing in that sort of formation. But he's had a, a couple of slight injuries as well. I think he's had a calf strain, which kept him out for a while. Uh, he's also been sent off. So it, it's uh, there's more to it than just a dip in form. Uh, and I'm not 100% certain it suits Sean Maloney's style, although probably Maloney would disagree with that because he, he said he rated Langley. He wanted him to stay. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, th- I think the majority of the well, the, like I said, the vocal majority, uh, the vocal Latics fans will probably say, you know, he's been played as a position, but I don't think that's correct. I just think he's just been played in positions where he's he's different from the last time we was here. He was playing with Will Keane up front, who um, they worked very well together, him and Keane, and they showed the goals. That Keane got twenty-seven goals that season, Lang got fourteen, so. Um, and it, it works well with them little flick-ons as well, you know, for him to bomb on to. Uh, we've not really played with the target man at the front too much this season. So talking about that sort of position where he plays, I mean, obviously, you probably have Colby Bishop up front, who's that sort of, you know, brings people to play, that sort of target man in that sense, you know, sort of he'll drop off and we'll expect the the wide players in the in the sort of 4-2-3-1, the 4-3, I suppose, to, to press, get forward and get in behind Colby Bishop and provide some some sort of attacking prowess, you know, as well as that, we all also want the, the players to press as a team. So I think it'll fit in well in that sort of up-tempo style of trying to press and getting behind. Do you think that could be something that would work for him? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, he's alive. Right? He never stops. I think he was uh, our biggest runner on the, on the you know, when they do the stats after games. He's, he's got his GPS on and he, he clocks the most kilometres. He never stops working. He'll track back. He, he puts his foot in and like you say with, with Bishop playing if Bishop can play him in knocking the balls over the top of the, the opposing defenders he'll, he'll be bombing onto them it's, just look at his goals he scored with us uh, a couple of seasons back majority of them was bursting through and you know on the right hand side coming in off the right and knocking them into the bottom corner the far bottom corner or coming in cutting in from the left he scored an absolute beauty against Lincoln City uh, picked it up near the halfway line uh, playing I think he was like over left winger at the time and he's cut inside he's just about a 25-30 yarder into the top corner he's got that in his locker he can score with his head he can score with his feet as well um, yeah so it, that'll suit him absolutely 100% one thing I will say though because I've seen uh, John Massinio has mentioned about him being a number 10 he's not a number 10 in, in the same bracket as like what you think Bradley Dack is you know that little guy with the tricks and, and can float about. He's not that type of number 10. And I wouldn't play him as a number 10. He's more... and He's also not a not an out-and-out winger. People describe him as a winger. He isn't. He's not like... Uh, like He's more... Um, he's like an upgrade on Michael Jacobs, probably. And then you had Michael Jacobs' office for a while. Uh, he's probably an upgrade on Michael Jacobs, that type of player. I know Jacobs played a number 10 with us once, once or twice. But... Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. It looks a bit better than Jacobs, but a similar type of player, but more industrious, a bit more pace about him. And uh, yeah, if you look at Michael Jacobs and you're thinking you're getting an upgrade, well, that's what you get him. Yeah, it was interesting. Bacino came out in the news and essentially talked about the versatility of Lang a bit, said he could potentially play 10 or play on the left or play on the right. 
what is the best place to play Callum Lang if you were the manager and what are, what are his strengths? What what could what could the manager do to get the most out of him? See, this divides uh, our fan bases because a lot of people tell you play him on the right wing. A lot of people tell you play him on the left wing, let him cut inside. I think he's an attacking midfield player, right or a right-sided attacker. You know, where you've mentioned before about Colby Bishop. Colby Bishop's a big ladder. I like him. He's a good good player. He's got a good touch on him. Uh, if he can just hold the ball up and flick it through for Lange to get onto, he'll do that all day long, and it'll cause problems in, in you know in the opposition uh, half. So yeah, I, that, that's what I'd be looking at. Just telling him to get beyond Bishop, get them flick-ons, and uh, put that ball in the back of the net. I mean, if he can replicate that that form he had with us in 21-22, uh, you've got yourself a, a player who could possibly shoot you to promotion this season. You know, un, I, I think your favourites anyway, but definitely, you know, he, he could be the uh, the cherry on top of the cake, shall we say. Yeah, I saw in that season he got around 15 goals and eight assists as well, and then obviously played a fair bit in the Championship for Latics as well. I don't want to preempt things too much because it's Portsmouth Football Club <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. If the stars align and this side ends up in the championship, do you think Callum Lang could still hang around at that level as a squad player or or a first-team choice? Absolutely. He was all right with us last season. I mean, we had a a horrendous season last last year because um, we appointed Colo Toure for a start and then the the players uh, weren't getting paid. So, you know, to base Callum Lang's championship qualities on last season is wrong to do so he, he played well last season he scored goals for us in this I think it's two or three he didn't score a heartful but it, it, but he played some really good performances I mean one goal he scored up at Huddersfield I think it was the game absolutely superb goal typical Lange he'll, he'll do that for you he's a good player he really is he, he's I'm not saying he's a top end championship player by any stretch of the imagination He's, uh, but he's, he, he definitely held his own. Definitely held his own in the championship. The championship clubs interested in him last season. Well, I, I can't believe we didn't sell him. He didn't want to leave. You've made him a good offer. I'm not going to say he didn't want to leave and go to Portsmouth because that's being disrespectful to you, and I don't mean it that way. What I meant was this: his club. He's been at our club for 11 years, so and he loves the club. So and he's from the area, so you can see it's been a difficult move for him, but. He'll give you 110%. Uh, the fans here love him. Uh, he's been on our podcast three times. Get him on your podcast, have a chat with him. He's a character. He makes you laugh. He's a proper scouser. he get up to tricks. I think Col- he's probably Bishop of Scouser. I'm not, I think he is, isn't he? I mean, if, he's, from if an, he had, he's from around Nottingham Way. He's from Nottingham, yeah. Oh, well. He, he did that but, celebration. He did the Robin Hood celebration against Derby when he scored, which I thought was yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's because it's he played at he played at Accrington, didn't he? With uh, mm-hmm. they're full of Scotians. That's where I got that. So, if, but he's probably got that uh, that practical joke side to him. It, you know, it, the the other players will love Lange because that's the type of character he is. He's he's the joker of the pack. So, yeah, yeah. You've got yourself a really really decent player there. I'm telling you, both on and off the pitch. I think the the, t- the squad's been very tight this season. All seem to get on very well. Good bunch of lads like to have a crack and stuff. So that that sounds good. I do know that the management wants to bring in people that fit into that character and you know, not upset the squad who's doing you know fairly well in that sense this season. So it sounds like that could be quite a good move to bring in someone who's already quite likable as well as talented. Cause it, it does make a difference, doesn't it, in the squad having a player, I suppose, that can just come in and get on the team. 
It does indeed, yeah. And uh, it, it, that's exactly what it's like. It, it'll, 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 you know, the lads will take to him and, you know, he'll muck in, he'll muck in, in your community as well. He does loads of charity stuff that, you know, goes under the radar. He's he's helped me with a couple of projects in the past. Absolutely superb. I can't speak highly enough of him. And if you have a look on Twitter, just look at the comments that people have been sending to him. You know, I, I mean, I put one out like say, you know, don't cry because you've left. Smile because of of uh, you know that you've been here with us. And and I think that's how a lot of people feel. They look a bit heartbroken because he's gone. But the fact that he's played with us, now you know, he, he, and he's a legend as well. Because when we were in administration, we'd sent him out on loan. Our former CEO uh, preempted stuff and sent him out on loan to Motherwell to stop the administrator selling him. And it worked. And he had a recall clause in uh, January to come back. And he came back. And I think he scored eight goals between January and the end of the season. And these goals kept us up. So that alone, it, it was enough to give him legendary, legendary status. And then the following season, when we won the, the title, and he was just, he was unplayable at times in that in that team. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. It's hard talking about a favoured son who's left, isn't it? But he doesn't go, and nobody's wishing him ill. Everybody's wishing him all the best. They're wishing Pompey all the best. But looking forward to that trip. Do you remember last season when we came down to your place and we needed we needed a point to win to, to pick up the championship and we were winning 2-0 at half-time? He came back and did us 3-2. Well, we've been talking tonight with one of the guys and said, wouldn't it be strange if it was something similar this time we come to your place and you need you need a, a win to, to, you know, to, to nail automatic promotion and language playing and the lads, you know, do it, do, do the reverse. And it would be quite funny, but... If it means Bolton are going up, I, I hope you think it's as if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. But Lang, yeah. And the other thing as well, look at uh, Langer's goal at Bolton. I mean, that shows you what, again, what sort of character he is, you know. I mean, I, I find it hard to say that, that the name of that club at times. But I mean, he scored up the, uh, the start of the season when we beat him 4 0. If he could have jumped into the stands with the fans, he would have done without any shadow of a doubt. I was going to say, what about um, Calum Lang's creativity, Barry? I assume in the setup that Pompey play at the moment, he'll play on that right-hand side. But, for example, if he gets a bit stranded out there and needs to put a cross into the box or a cross to a midfielder who's outside the area, do you think he'll be able to do that with a range of passing? Or is he more like an out-and-out attacker where, ideally, the final ball would end with him for a shot? Uh, well, the season that I keep reflecting back on when uh, he finished on on. 14, 15 goals. He had eight assists that season as well. So, yeah, he's he's, uh, he's quite good at that. He tends to lay the ball back to around about the penalty spot. You know, rather than knocking him across the six-yard box, he'll, he'll, he tends to lay it back. So, he's looking for that midfielder coming, rushing in. Um, and, and uh, you know, he, he, even this season, I think he's got a couple of assists this season. Uh, and he's, he's not... Uh, He's played a lot, but he's not started a lot of games this season, so uh, he's still got a couple of assists. So that's what he tends to do. If he gets to the byline, don't expect him to knock it across the six-yard box. Think of him like knocking it back to the penalty spot for somebody to come rushing in and, and burying it that way. We could definitely work on that, couldn't we, Fred? We could need some of our centre midfielders to get forward, but 
we just signed, signed uh, Miles uh, Pete Harris from Brentford. He's, he's playing now and he looks like much more of that sort of number 10 who comes in and just picks the ball up, cycles it, knocks it past someone, gets it going. I think that will really help um, Callum in that situation because it would just open up a little bit of space for him for you know, sucking players in and allowing him to maybe get some more space. So I think I think that would kind of work well in that sense with him. Um Freddie, you got anything else to ask before we wrap it up and let Barry go, who's very kindly stood outside after being at the football club, having a meeting for a couple of hours down at Wigan? <laughs> oh, I, th- I, th- I think we've gone for everything, haven't we? Um, yeah, I think every Pompey fan's excited for the signing, really. Yeah, massively. I think we all are. And we needed some more firepower going forward. It was, it was a bit obvious that you know, a few injuries, but also just the fact that you can't ride on the right-hand side. You know, Kamara's been amazing, but a 20-year-old who's, you know, first full season effectively playing, you know, uh, league football coming from Norwich on loan, you just need to be able to rotate them a little bit there and also play them and just, you know, just see how it goes. So, Barry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Could you just let people know where they can find you, your pod? Yeah, we're the uh, Progress with Unity podcast, PWU. Uh, pick us up on Twitter at PWWU Podcast. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, be patient with Lange, give him a bit of time, and uh, the love you invested in, he'll repay you 10 times over. You've got yourself a good one. Well, that's a good review, probably, fans, you've heard it. But Barry, thanks again. I appreciate it. And we'll let you get out the cold. Thank you very much. And uh, catch us again later in the season. <laughs> thanks, Barry. Thanks, Barry, for coming on the podcast. It's interesting because a lot of people said who were Wigan fans anyway online were like, you have to play him as a right winger or you won't get the best out of him. But Fred, Barry actually said that he doesn't think that's necessarily the case, does he? And he says that he could be a bit more versatile and still be a productive player. Yeah, and that was a bit similar to what Massino mentioned in the news. I know there was a lot of people going a bit mental over potentially misprofiling the player and oh my god he's going to play it play Lang in the wrong position and waste him we're going to waste all that money from the January signing I had some reservations about him to start with I thought he was a good player but I thought there were better options beforehand and he's proven and another Pompey player he's proven me wrong again thank god and yeah I, I, Barry gave us a great bit of insight into a player who hopefully can add that attacking edge to Pompey's final third which has been lacking sometimes sent Barry a photo. Obviously, I missed out on the interview because I was freezing my Jamaican ninis off at the Kassam, but uh, cool runnings reference there for anyone who's older than, what, 25? Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I texted Barry a photo of Lang celebrating in front of us, and I think it probably brought a little tear to his eye, I would imagine. It's a good debut, eh? That's the kind of nice thanks you give to people who come on the podcast, isn't it? Oh, Just no, it was, a, it was a friendly text. I was like, oh, you'd be proud. And I sent him a photo of, uh, yeah, Lang celebrating with the, the Pompey lads, except for Miles Pert Harris for some reason, who was stood about 10 feet away. What's that meme of the guy that just stood by him? I know it was like Ashley Cole with the Roma squad, where all the Roma squad there and Ashley Cole stood about 10 feet away off the side of the team photo. It was uh, kind of like that. I, I took a photo of an unfortunate moment in time without context, but... Yeah, send that across to Barry to to let him know that his lad was doing all right. Nice. And the intent was good. We spoke to Alex from the Elm Park Royal Podcast. Talk about everything to do with Tom McIntyre. We spoke about a little bit about the situation at Reading, but mainly focused on what kind of defender he is, what his strengths are, his weaknesses, how he's a good passer of the ball, where he maybe needs to improve and 
a little bit about the transfer fee and how Reading fans feel about that. So here's Alex from the Elm Park Royals. All right, I'm here with Alex from the Elm Park Royals. And Alex, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. How are you doing today? Yeah, well, thank you, mate. Very well. I appreciate you jumping on this quickly so we can get the full down, full lowdown, I suppose. On Tom, I think we just started back then. Obviously, he's a player that you've had from the academy as such. He's risen through the ranks at Reading. You've got that, I suppose, that attachment to a player who's come through the academy. So is it difficult to let him go? Or is it just the time you think the timing's worked all right for both sides? The timing, yeah, the timing probably works for both sides in reality. I think he's kind of at the point of his career where he needs to move away from Reading anyway to, to move on and, and move on with his career and try and establish himself really as a you know first teamer somewhere. I think last year was kind of the most games he played in a season. And even that was periods of time off the bench and not really ever cementing a, a position for his own. It's probably not unsurprising he's left uh, Reading at this point. It the you know the the more surprising thing I guess is probably the timing that it's in the middle of the season when we don't really have any kind of straight uh, well any depth at all and obviously the fee which is you know kind of um, a separate matter I guess. Yeah, in sort of comparing this to another signing that's just come in with uh, Callum Lang, the Wigan response to that, the fan base has all been very you know he's a quality player, good luck to him, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. With McIntyre, at least on social media. It seems to be a bit more mixed, the reviews from Reading fans, even though his stats look pretty good in terms of like progressive runs from the back and stuff. He looks um, on paper a, a really solid centre-back to, to be coming into Pompey. Those mixed reviews, is that, or, or the, if we look at the negative ones, do you think that's more because it's like just a, a bit fed up to be losing him or is it that he's been you know, defending in a team that has been struggling for, for well-documented reasons? Or is are you surprised he's going to the top of top end of League One in a transfer? So I'm not surprised he's going to the top end of League One. He probably has the potential to be a top end League One, bottom end of the championship type player. That that That's not that out of the question, I think. However, he has been part of a Reading side, which has been amongst the worst defensively in the championship for the, the last two seasons. Certainly, I think we conceded, I think it was 84 in 21-22, um, in which he was a you know a big part of it then. And then I think we conceded 70-something last season as well. So we've conceded you know, well over 150 goals in the last two full seasons. Um, and he's been a kind of a major part of that wherever he's played, whether he's played at centre-back or left-back or left-centre-back each time he's kind of been he has been involved in that so um i think the stats are maybe slightly misleading in, with that with him um he's a decent player on the ball certainly when he's got the ball at his feet he's very technically gift well for a center back i guess he's very technically gifted he's you know he is able to he is able to pick out a pass and make moves forward with the ball at his feet but the mixed reviews are I would say are probably fair on him positionally. He does. He is a bit suspect at times. I mean, as you might have seen, he's he is quite injury prone. I think he's only played three or four full games this season in the champion in, in League One. It's less than three or four hundred minutes, certainly in in total. So it's not a lot of minutes. And I think he's he's made two appearances for us since the end of September. So it, it's been a while since he's 
kind of been fit for us anyway. It's not a new thing with Tom McIntyre. He he does struggle with injuries. So I think he's uh, that is part of the reason that he's always struggled to kind of ever find a position within Reading's first team and why he's always, I guess, never really nailed down a a specific position. Uh, one of the kind of major criticism, criticisms of him is that he's a you know jack of all trades and he's like a six out of 10 at multiple positions, but he's not really a nine or a 10 out of 10 at any position. You mentioned a few different yeah, positions there that, that maybe he has played in. I mean, Pompey at the moment, we're jumping a little bit between a four at the back and a sort of a three centre back at the back formation, depending on who we're against. I mean, Oxford last night at the time of recording, we played four at the back for the first half, pretty much, you know, three at the back for most of the second half. So we're still not a hundred percent sure where he's likely to feature most. Where has he played the majority of his time at Reading in that sort of six out of 10 ability way? Um, so the majority of the time he plays at centre-back, and it's it's been a mix because we've had multiple different managers over the last few years. He's he's kind of flitted in between playing as a, a left centre-back in a four and then a left side of a centre-back in a, in a free centre-back kind of role. Um, but I would say that that is maybe two thirds of the games he plays for us. He plays in one of those two positions, and then the other third he, he played a, he played an awful lot of left back in twenty one twenty two. I think it was he played quite a lot of games at left back, and he's also been deployed at central defensive midfield as well. So, it, it, like I said, he's never really nailed down that centre back spot as kind of a consistent first team. Um, player for us. Yeah, Messino likes to sign players. It seems that can play in multiple positions. You look at Connor Shaughnessy, who he picked up from from Burton Albion, and he wasn't a regular starter with an injury sort of track record, which is quite a similar profile, I suppose. He could play defensive midfield as well, just you know, as he's a fairly decent ball playing player as well. And he's come into Pompey this season. He's been you know he's been outstanding at centre back and, and fitted into a lot more structured team, I'd say, at Portsmouth. You know, he will get the cover of. People like Joe Morrell, Marlon Pack, etc., that will cover him, sit in, you know, join the back line when's needed as well. When Pompey look at what we need, you're obviously missing Regan Paul, who's out for the season now with a with an ACL injury. I think what we're really missing, and Sean Raggett's done well, he stepped in and he's held the fort, as you'd say, I suppose, from from a sort of basic basis. But when you look against Oxford yesterday, there was a, a situation where we passed through the press and he'd been given the ball. There was acres of space for him just to bring the ball and run into it. And instead he, he just sort of side foots it to the left back. So I think what we were expecting, you know, Tom McLean to do if he comes in is just, just be able to make that first pass out because we're defensively fairly solid at covering the center backs. If we can get our center backs to get the ball forward quicker to us, and then we can allow us to sort of use that press control the ball in the opposition half. So if he's asked to do that sort of basics, being able to head the ball out, being able to get the ball at his feet, bring the ball out and, and pass through, do you think that could end up being, you know, an all right fit there, Alex? In terms of the, like I said, at the ball, with the ball at his feet, I don't think he's a bad player. He'll be able to do that kind of the basic stuff of bringing the ball forwards, playing it out into a, you know, into a wide man or into the, into the central midfield and, and kind of breaking the lines when he's in possession. Defending-wise, he's, he's, He's okay, but he does get caught out positionally, which is the worry. Whenever he's played for Reading, it's it's always been a case of, you know, he's not necessarily the best at hand, handing his man off to a, 
you know the other centre back around him or off tracking his man, etc. So he's not a traditional central defender. I think it's probably the best description I would give of him. He is a reasonably good ball player, I think, but he's he does struggle sometimes with kind of like the the, the basics. I think because it's probably the best way to to put it. He does have games though when he obviously is, is great at the back, um, but then you'll have other games where you wonder if he's you know if he's ever played with the other centre-back before um, and he, he looks completely lost. So, and often it can come down to kind of like what his first five minutes on the field is like. Um, an example was 21-22, we played Forest away um, and he got played at left-back and I think they scored after about 50 seconds or so. Um, but the, the he played at left-back that day and the ball came straight behind. It, it basically got a ball played to the right winger straight in behind him or straight in between him and the centre-back because there was no communication between the two of them. Um, but the positioning and, and the awareness from him is it was really lacking. Um, that's kind of the best example I've got from from him um, in terms of, you know, poor positional play. Defensively, he's he has games when he looks good, but he also has games when he just looks really kind of lost, as it were. Um so it'll be yeah, it'll be interesting to follow and see whether he's you know can get some consistency into his game going forwards. I think that is interesting. I think the confidence and the consistency, staying fit as well. I look, had a look at his injury record, and it, it seems to be quite a few different things, not just a recurring injury, which is which is kind of positive, I suppose. When you're looking at a track record for an, you know an injury prone inverted commas player, well, if it's not the recurring injury, I'm not quite as worried. But again, if he just gets an injury after injury, then they will mount up, don't they? But Having a look at his defending there, yeah, I mean, positional defending is always a worry with someone. We saw yesterday Riley Towler and Sean Raggett just being so poor against Oxford positionally, giving them so much space to allow a shot to go on target. And eventually, you know, we concede late in the game there. But I think what you'll see with us, he's not going to play left back unless we have an injury crisis, to be honest. And Conor Ogilvie, who plays on the left back, is very defensively solid. Uh, and he will cover, I suppose, in that sense when needed. So... I think if Tom ends up playing on that left-hand side with someone like Conor Ogilvie on the other side of him, who is so defensively sound, that might help his help his development, I suppose, and give him a little bit of confidence alongside the back four. I, I would have thought we are looking for a right-sided centre-back in some ways, Andy. They might end up pushing Shaughnessy on to the other side, I think, if that's how they that's how I imagine they do it. Yeah, that's the, exactly the point I was about to make, actually. it's um, I think that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah, I mean, Shaughnessy struggled at times a little bit last night against uh, against Oxford for pace there I mean their their right hand side looked looked really dangerous actually uh, you might want to watch out for that this weekend Alex um going forward on the right on the right wing they look particularly good I don't know if your left side defensively is a bit susceptible at the moment or yeah that's that that might be an issue for you but um but yeah I think that's probably what they'll do Hugh is uh is that's hop over because I, I can't see shocknessy uh, being dropped ragged being kept in no just to maintain that line at the back. I mean, yeah, I guess if we're playing three centre-backs, it's less of a a big change than if we're playing four at the back. But yeah, I guess we'll see. I think we'll see, yeah. I, I was having a look at some of the interesting things. He's, I've seen him, obviously, he does that little thing where he highlights, you know, sad music, boo-hoo Adele, and puts out a, a video online, etc. But 
at the same time, I've looked at his stats, goal scoring, not as great. I know Jack was talking about it, Hancock, in his article. Is it the kind of player that he, he can nip in with a goal or two? I mean, some of our centre-backs can contribute with a goal or two. We're just talking mainly from set plays, etc. Or is it a situation that it's just not his strength and you don't Alex's eyes there goal? just went, no. Honestly, <laughs> I, 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 I can't remember him scoring many goals. Uh, there's, the, yeah. the, I think he scored five or six, something like that for Reading ever. And he's played 120 games. So he will probably get you one or two a season. But I mean, the the, the most recent ones, I think he scored one one or two last season. And then the, the most famous ones he scored, he scored two over Easter weekend, one which was a last minute winner against Sheffield United away. And then one which was a last minute equaliser about three days later against Swansea. And both of those were from set pieces. Um, but they were both in the last minute when we were pushing to try and win points to stay in the league. So he's not someone who's going to get forwards and, uh, you know, get you five goals or six goals a season. I don't think particularly he might get you three goals a season from set pieces. Um, if you're kind of, if, if you're lucky with him, I think he's not going to score more than that though from, from set pieces. Awesome. Step up Connor Shaughnessy then and he's going to have to be the man from a corner. Oh, he loves it. Shaughnessy scored some really important goals this season already, hasn't he? So yeah, just a bit more pressure on him. Uh, anything else you want to ask you about uh, McIntyre? Um, Alex, thank you for all that information. Um, our listener base, there's a, a, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed with Pompey, there's a fairly diverse range of views on what's happening at Reading compared to a lot of other clubs in the league that are maybe more consistently sympathetic, let's say. Yeah, I mean, the, the different views are probably quite understandable. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I understand it. If you get the piss taken out of you at a point when you're lowest, you're going to hold on to it. So it's definitely understandable from people. I mean, currently the situation is pretty dire, as you can kind of understand, having signed McIntyre for, you know, 75,000. The club is basically reliant on these player sales at the minute to be able to fund things like wages um, and bills for the next who knows how long month two months if there's no movement in terms of a takeover by i don't know the end of february or end of march i would say there's probably a higher than 50 percent chance that the the club won't exist by next season because we just won't have any have any players there is interest in terms of people wanting to purchase the club at the minute but well there's no solid bid which has gone in the last one which did go in before christmas got accepted and then once the contracts were kind of like ready to be signed Agreements kind of got changed at the last minute by Dai Yong. So it's difficult to really see much hope or way out at the minute. Um, the main kind of goal for this season, really, for the team at least, is they have to stay in League One because if they go down, the, the interest in purchasing us at what is an already overinflated value is, is basically zero. Um, and we'll be kind of really scraping the barrels to try and find any way to find somebody who can afford to to run the club and actually purchase the club as well at the same time, um, which is going to be really, really difficult. Alex, my last question, I'll let you go, is how much money do you think Tom should have been sold for if it was market value? 300k? I think if we got, I mean, we've sold three centre-backs in this window, all who are, are, are Reading Academy players and have come through the academy. Tom Holmes was sold to Luton for about half a million who had uh, 18 months left on his deal. Nelson Abbey got sold to Olympiacos for reportedly a similar kind of amount. So my guess is for McIntyre, who probably has a slightly lower ceiling than certainly than Abbey, 
maybe a similar ceiling to Holmes. Um, yeah, somewhere between 300 and 400k. I think most people would have thought that's a relatively okay price. Um, of course, you'll get some Reading fans who say 75k you've been you know, ripped off anyway. But I think if if we'd got three or 400k, it would have been difficult to think it was a complete fire sale. Well, mate, I hope I hope things change around for you. You know, as good as possible. It must be a difficult time and stuff. But thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast, mate. And hopefully, you stay up. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex, for coming on the podcast. As Andy was mentioning to me a little second ago, maybe if he comes into the team, we'll have to shift him. Our little our defense around. Will Shaughnessy go to the right because it seems like Tom's probably more suited to playing on the left hand side of a centre back position. Yeah, I think so. I mean, realistically, you expect that if if McIntyre does come into the side straight away, you'd imagine it would be to replace Raggett in that eleven rather than Shaughnessy, based on the pecking order at the start of the season. And I don't think Shaughnessy's done anything to deserve to have dropped below Raggett in that pecking order. But then if we're seeing McIntyre playing in his preferred side of the back four uh, in terms of the two centre-backs, that would mean Shocknessy moving over. So it's a, it's a bit of a reshuffle, whatever happens if he comes into the side. Uh, or it might be that Messino's going to stick with Raggett and Shocknessy. Or he could play three centre-backs. Towler doesn't necessarily make the squad. And we see a Raggett, Shocknessy, McIntyre back three. It's going to be interesting to see what the formation looks like actually, when the 2pm rolls around on Saturday. Let's let's get into the last part of the podcast now, because we've spoke about the various players who are signing for Pompey or have signed already, but we still have a game on Saturday. So we do want to miss this bit out as well, because we spoke to Danny from the It's All Cobblers To Me podcast, which is a fantastic name, boys. Let's talk about everything to do with the game against Northampton. We spoke to Danny before on the podcast and after you listen to this, go back and listen to Andy do a whole hour preview in this podcast as well. He looks absolutely shattered. We've been recording for hours and hours now. So hold it together there, Andy. But here's Danny from It's All Cobblers to Me. All right, I'm here with Danny from It's All Cobblers to Me. And Danny, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome, good to be here. Good to pleasure. Pleasure, looking forward to it. Probably more yeah. than the game, to be fair. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You guys have been doing pretty well this season, haven't you? So since we last spoke, Northampton have been on a pretty decent run of form. Obviously, you know, you lost the last game at home to Shrewsbury 2 now, although they've had that new manager bounce and looked, to be honest, quite a different team how they set up. So, you know, with one eye, I suppose, on how far you guys can get up the table. Some people were saying, you know, could you even push for a playoff spot? I think it's probably a bit far off. But, you know, where do you see this team as they are as they now? And do you feel that you can just keep pushing on and carrying on that good run of form you've been on via this, well, apart from the Shrewsbury game? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a funny one, really, because I, I personally, I don't think the playoffs is anywhere near in, in anyone's thoughts, realistically. As soon as you get to within sort of single figures of the playoffs, you do start dreaming and start thinking. I just, it's been such a good season and I don't really want to take away the fact that it's been such a good season by muddying it with playoff talk. It's just, because it feels like, you know, if you, do, if you don't end up getting there, it then feels like a little bit of a disappointment. And I don't want this season to feel like that at all because it's been an incredible season by our standards back in League One for the first time, um, sort of first season back. Usually we're sort of scrambling around the bottom four, staying up on the last day of the season or going straight back down again. That's usually what, what happens to us. So to be up here in ninth, 10th place, 
with even the playoffs being talked about is a is an amazing thing we've had some great away days great results so yeah, I mean it's just been a fantastic season so yeah I, I don't I don't I don't think it's anything you know to to really really get excited about the playoffs but I don't think that's a disappointment on the same side of things what do you think's changed then from those initial expectations what what's gone right for Northampton in this season then well how have they managed to get as many points as they have um the feeling around the club probably the main thing John Brady took over when we were in the bottom half of league one last time couldn't keep us up Keith Curl had taken us to like a really poor first thought of three quarters of the season we didn't have a transfer window with Brady to, to put that right he did what he could but the whole feeling around the club from then to now has been different Brady's been here for two and a half nearly three years now the work he's done is phenomenal in terms of getting the club and the community back together the the feeling that he's got sort of what the feelings he's got towards the club uh are amazing like he's been around the local scene for years as youth team managers managing in non-league around the county and stuff so he knows the club he knows the town it's in it's kind of in his blood even though he's australian it's it's becoming his blood you know when the when the player or manager kind of really buys into the club and the surrounding areas and the community and everything so that's a major part of it and how we missed out um, on the last day against Barrow when Bristol Rovers did what they did a couple of years ago. That's played into last season when we did go up and sort of the emotions around that. All the injuries we had last season as well, we we had players coming in sort of playing on one leg for half games and stuff like that. And, you know, that kind of bonds players and fan bases really quickly. And the, the journey we've all been on together, it sounds cheesy, but it, that really plays into it. And the momentum, I don't think anyone was expecting the momentum to, to carry us through this far similar-ish to, to what Steve Evans and Steve had done, I guess, that you just carry that momentum through. And what what was good about us last season and the season before has just been carried on into League One. And I don't think any of us expected us to be as success, successful as it has been. So it's just, it's just the way we play. The the change in atmosphere around the club has, has been something has been great. So yeah, long may that continue. Sounds like there's a lot of positivity there. In terms mm. of how you actually go about doing that on the pitch then, is it a 4-2-3-1 that we can expect to see at the weekend? And uh, if so, how how does the club implement that formation in terms of playing style? Yeah, it should be. It should be 4-2-3-1. We're usually playing that. You know, if There might be you know the occasional tweak for games like this where we're playing a, a, a side that's clearly better. And whether you're 3-0 win or play into that a little bit, I'm not sure. But generally, it'll be a 4-2-3-1. But the issues we've got at the minute is Sean McWilliams is out. Uh, Jack Salby is out. And that's meant Mark Leonard, who's the key player for us, um, who had been playing the number 10 role, he's had to drop down into the DM role. And it's just, it messes up the, the entire system when Leonard has to do that. We haven't got him going forward, but also we've got a weaker, not weaker, but you know, a player who's not used to a DM position as much playing in that role. And we've had, uh, against Shrewsbury, we had Will Hondemout playing in there, who's not, again, that's not his type of position. So that kind of area of the pitch is really struggling at the minute. So that's where you'll probably hurt us because we haven't got anybody at the moment at time of time of recording. I don't think there's going to be anything in the transfer window because we just haven't got any money and we haven't got the the loan spaces really to to bring anyone in. So it's it's going to be difficult for us for sure. But essentially, it will be four two three one. I don't think there'll be any massive surprises in there. Without Leonard in the centre role there, as you mentioned, linking up the plays, you've had a lot of your success coming from your wide players in, in the front three. So, you know, Sam Hoskins and Bowie, etc. on the other side. So mm -hmm. are they a little bit less effective then when you haven't got Leonard to be the facilitator sort of in the middle there and spreading the ball around? Because you said the system doesn't really work without Leonard, you know, playing in that role. Is that what it is? Is that, is that what you're struggling for going forward now? 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Leonard's a, just such a quality player. Um, he's kicked on himself this season. Um, with him in a number 10 role, as he's been able to push on this season, he does get ch- give chances for Hoskins, for Bowie, for Pinnock behind, like in the in the front line. And he's just a different player when he goes forward. Um, when he has to do the dirty work in the in the defensive midfielder role, it just doesn't work. And not having the types of player behind him as well doesn't doesn't help. So not having the Jack Salbys doing the dirty work and the Sean McWilliams doing his very dirty work behind him, it just it it all feels it all falls out of whack. If that makes sense, um, if we don't have Leonard further forward, but at the moment we've got no one else. So is there a chance? Where it is. But is there a chance that you think, okay, it's not working, we'll put Leonard into that role and, and they'll try someone else in a in a defensive role? I mean, you could even play, I don't know if you've got any centre-backs or someone who's a bit more defensive that could ideally play in that holding role and push Leonard forward. Yeah, that's what we've been talking about on the podcast last week, actually. Do we have a centre-back in there that could do the do that job? The answer's probably not yes, because, again, injuries... Um, that if Manny Monte comes in and plays that role, I don't think anybody will be breathing for 90 minutes um, because he's just not that holding player. I mean, Jordan Willis potentially could step out at centre-back and put Monte back, but again, it becomes a bit messy at centre-back. So, I mean, I don't see it myself. It just might be a case of filling the gap however we can, And but I just Leonard's so good at what he does that I almost feel like he has to play in one of them roles because otherwise it, it'll completely fall apart. So it, it's a case of having him somewhere helps more than you know it's especially in a game like this it helps him more more than being pushed forward because that's just what we've got available how do you think that Northampton will set up then at Fratton Park do you think they'll be more aggressive trying to bounce back on the form or given the injuries in the shortlist they'll just take things steady a little bit have a lot of men behind the ball that's yeah, I, I don't think it's our game to play with men behind the ball we've not really done that we've gone to places like Blackpool and won where they've got such a good home record we've been to Charlton and won 3-2 we've been to Lincoln and won 2-1 uh, all of these games you'd expect us you know, to be grateful for a point coming out of it but we've gone and attack sides I mean to go to Blackpool on a Tuesday night and attack them the way we did was one of the performances of the season so far from us and we've just kept going in games we've kept attacking we've kept do, playing the way that we that we want to play We've never really gone into a match sort of sitting back and waiting for the game to happen to us. It's more, we will go for it and we'll really have a go at teams. So, I mean, potentially we didn't see that as much against you last time, but hopefully in a way match where there's a little bit less pressure, we we might go and see it as a free hit almost, maybe. Do you think the wide players might get a bit of luck because Pompey will try and, you know, dominate possession and will try and dominate it and commit people, I suppose, in your half and cycle it. Do you think there's an opportunity there that not having to go through Leonard, but maybe then just hitting the wide players on the break and allowing them to sort of cause problems when Pompey committed men forward. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we've got Hoskins will do a lot of work up and down one flank. Bowie will do an awful lot of work down the other as well. So that there's a potential for that. Um, if you leave gaps there, we'll hopefully exploit them. That's where Hoskins gets a lot of his goals from, is cutting in from that left-hand side. So there's definitely a chance, yeah, for sure. All right, I think this is going to be an interesting game as always against you. It's never an easy game down at, at Fratton Park and a team that, as I said, are on good form apart from a new manager bounce. And let's be honest, League One is so unpredictable. You're never going to carry on winning every game as we found out from the second half of the season. But let's just get into the juicy bit here. So I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers. Now, we've just made a prediction on our podcast, so I'm going to have to stick with it. I said 3-1, on. I think, to Pompey um, in this one. I just can't see us getting anything out of this game. It's the injury issues. If we don't sign anyone over the next 24 hours in for a midfield role, it's going to get quite complicated in there and be really difficult against you. the the type of players that you've got, like Callum Lang coming in potentially. Um, 
and I just I, I'm, I'd be happily be surprised again but I just can't see it especially the way you played against us at Sixfield so I think we might score but I'll go 3-1 who, who are you going for the goal scorers I'm going to press you on this who do you think is going to score for Northampton at least you're going to give me that one uh, I think Callum Lang will score for you um, Bishop will probably get a couple because he always does um and, you know, he wasn't available last time, was he, when we, when we played him? So he'll probably be wanting a goal or two. Um, for us, I'll go I'll go Kieran Bowie, actually, for us. I think he might, he might nick one. Nice one. He's going to be trying to chase Hoskins down for the end of the season. That's his, his goal. <laughs> yeah, he, he won't get anywhere near, I don't think. <laughs> right, why don't you tell people where they can uh, find your pod online? I'm sure they already know already, but just in case. Uh, yes, uh, at Cobblers to me on the socials um, or the usual podcast places, um, Apple, Spotify, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, just usually search It's All Cobblers to Me. You'll, you'll get something. You should be directed to us in some form. Nice one. Thanks. And uh, good luck for the rest of the season. I genuinely hope after Saturday you guys do well and uh, press at the table. Yeah, and you, I, get, I mean, I gave Andy a, a, a task on our podcast to keep Peter in the playoffs. So that's your task for that we're giving you. So just as long as, the, as, long as you finish above them and push them into the playoffs, we'll be very happy with you. So all the best for the season for you guys as well. Yeah, thanks. Or, or maybe even beat them in the playoffs. Who knows? We can yeah, even I mean, that. So either, either <laughs> or will be good. Bigger heartbreak, the better, I suppose, for you guys. Oh, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> nice one. Oh, yeah. And go and check out um, Andy's uh, preview on the All Cobblers to Me podcast, people. Now, after you finish listening to this, Andy's saying, no, you don't. But he can't be that bad, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Danny's excellent on it. Oh, it's great. It's <laughs> That's really what good I'm chat. saying. Do check it out. It's really good. Well, you've heard how good Danny is. Go check Danny out. But thanks again, Danny. Appreciate <laughs> Cheers, it, mate. And we'll speak soon. Cheers. Thanks, Danny, for coming on the podcast. I thought Andy was going to jump in and um, give his little bit there about the podcast because he was doing two podcasts. You've done over an hour and 15 minutes worth of Northampton podcasting today. So, Andy, go on, mate. I'm so sick of the sound of my own voice. I can't imagine how anyone feels who's actually been listening to it on record. Although you have the pause function and the 1.5 speed option, which uh, we don't have live. I hope you've taken up that opportunity if you are listening to all of this Northampton content on ours and their podcast. So what would you like me to say, Hugh? I'd like you to uh, lead into what you think is going to happen in the Northampton game, obviously. That's that's what we're doing now. We're wrapping up the podcast and we're going into our score predictions. There's my side posting. Thank goodness. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, honestly, I don't think they can be that bad twice against us in a season for a team that are around mid-table and are looking upwards rather than down. I don't think they can be as bad as they were in the first 50 minutes, first time we played them this season. I also think that we're going to, well, we succeeded a lot in that game, posing a threat that Yengi was able to, Cassini Yengi was able to, to pose. And we know that Bishop poses a very different type of threat. So time will tell whether or not the type of striker that Bishop is also causes them as many problems as our 4 2 3 1 with Yengi up top did. I think a lot remains to be seen as to whether we go three centre-backs or whether we do go uh, four at the back. I think part of that will depend on fitness because, I mean, Devlin was down twice in that Oxford game before being subbed off. We don't know what Rafferty's situation is exactly, whether he's going to be back for the weekend. So I think the formation that we start with depends on our right-back options for me. And we caused Northampton problems with that 4-2-3-1, which looked utterly ineffective in the first half against Oxford so there's a lot of unknown questions I think this is quite a difficult game for us to make sort of a a match style prediction on because there are so many variables that are potentially different or definitely different from our first time round playing them earlier this season 
Having said that, one of the constants is Paddy Lane, who caused them huge issues in that game and could have scored before he did. He scored a brace in that game, I think, and could have scored before that. And assuming he maintains his fitness, hopefully he'll cause them exactly the same problems again. So, yeah, lots of variables that we don't know the answers to as yet. But on their pod, I predicted a 2-1 Pompey win. I think we're potentially susceptible in defence based off things we've spoken about today. Um, so I think there is the op- the possibility that Northampton get on the score sheet. Having said that, seven points out of nine from three away games coming into this and with, you know, a few players in the team, particularly attacking-wise, looking like you know, they are going to cause some issues to some pretty good teams in this division. I think you have to go with a Pompey win. Uh, so I don't know if you want... Yeah, I've done the score prediction, so jumped the gun a little bit there, but... Um, can't shut the what is it? Shut the the gate after the no. Shut the stable door after the horse has bolted a little bit. I can't take that prediction back now. So I've done it. That's fair enough. Understandable, Mister Consistent over there, Freddie. How important is it that Pompey get three points in this game after you know dropping two points away at Oxford? I feel like I'm going to be saying this quite a lot in the run in now, but how important is it that Pompey get these three points against Northampton and just try and push on at the top? Oh, it's massive, isn't it? It's the sort of game that Pompey should be winning on paper. Should be winning in general, really, given Northampton's team, even with a good run of form. In terms of sides and the promotion race, I think we mentioned last time that Ipswich went for a period when they got promoted of not not winning very many in eight games. Sheffield Wednesday did the same thing. Sides that end up in the automatic promotion places don't go through more periods like that. They have that one blip and then they continue back on with some reasonable results. So yeah, they, they're going to have to because it's still competitive and there's still so many teams that could finish in the top two. There's still an awful lot there. All right then. Freddie, what was your score prediction, please, mate? Uh, let's go something a bit random. Let's go for a 3-2 Portsmouth win. I'm going to go for goals from Callum Lang, Colby Bishop and Miles Harris and then a brace from Sam Hoskins. And I shudder to think what that would be <laughs> on a betting side, what the odds are on that. Fairly good, I'd say. I'm going to go with a 2-0 Pompey win. I think they're going to look at the goal that we conceded, or the two goals we conceded, how much space we gave people, and I think that they're going to try and get tighter to people in those situations. And then I also sort of think without Leonard playing that number 10 role, maybe out out wide, they're not going to be as effective going forward as well as, as we just discussed with Danny in the podcast. So I want to go for a 2 now Pompey win. Goals from MPH and Colby Bishop. All right. Andy, it's been great having you the podcast for this and the various other interviews we've done. Thanks. Yeah, sad to miss the Wigan one but uh i'm i feel like i've talked a lot i've got a lecture in 11 hours oh, can i just do it mute like sign language or interpretive dance yeah thanks mate it's been lovely uh looking forward to seeing you i'm assuming you're both there on saturday so i look forward to seeing you both on saturday morning Andy looks like a man who wants to take the editing responsibility off my chest of this mega episode and just do it right now Andy's watch is telling them that he's got to sleep nine hours tonight. And even as we speak, my alarm is in uh, seven and a half hours. And I've still got to wait for this to process. So Andy will uh, will not be altruistically offering editing responsibilities this week, I'm afraid. But I have a lovely time cutting the six different segments together. I'm sure you're going to have a wonderful time with Garage Band. 
um i'm i'm very envious of the the enjoyable process you have in front of you yeah it's going to be amazing but talk about amazing freddie webb how are you mate let's let's wrap this up thank you for being on the podcast oh a pleasure and it was a nice chat to barry as well and uh yeah speaking of closed shifts my shift starts in about nine hours i think and it'll be a very, like the, very busy day tomorrow. It's like the four Yorkshire sketch. Like, oh, you were lucky. Like from Monty Python. Anyway, um, Hugh, shout out to you for uh, doing the summing up by asking Freddie, how are you? I think that sums up where we're at as a podcast. So uh, let, let's end it, shall we? And until next time, play out Pompey. Just wait till they do the fucking announcement at 10 p.m. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!